Gig Gab, the Working Musicians Podcast, episode 206 for Monday, April 1st, No Foolin' 2019. Greetings, folks, and welcome. Gig Gab, the podcast by, for, and about working musicians here in Durham, New Hampshire. I'm Dave Hamilton. Here in Los Gatos, California, it's Paul Kent. How you doing, Mr. Kent? I'm doing quite well, young man. How are you? Uh, you know, I'm doing okay. I've uh, I've had a thing that actually several listeners of, of one of my other podcasts, my Mac Geek Gab podcast, noticed, and I'm sure some folks here have too. Um, I've had this thing going on with my throat for the last couple of months, and it's just like raw... And doesn't like it, it doesn't sound the same necessarily. Uh, it does. It 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 started with a head cold back in January that that was actually sort of a mild cold, but it it had this cough that lingered toward the end, and so cough, sore throat ish, like raw throat, not not sore throat like strep throat or anything, just you know abused throat and. Uh, it just hasn't gotten better. And sometimes it gets worse. If I, uh, if I have a lot of podcasts to do in one day, you know, uh, that certainly can make it, uh, worse. And then singing, singing actually isn't quite as bad for it as talking. Uh, but, but that in general is true. I mean, when, when I was taking correct. singing lessons, yeah. <clears throat> singing teacher, you know, was very, very clear that talking is way harder on your voice because of the mechanics of how you push air and right. the temptation to do not great things with your vocal cords and, you know, your, your face muscles and those types of things. So it, in general, talking is not good and proper singing is a very, even if it's rock and roll singing, proper singing is a very sustainable activity. If you have good, good technique, if you have good technique, it's true. And over the years when I had Bell's palsy, uh, whatever, 10, uh, somewhere between 10 and 15 years ago. I can't remember exactly. I had, um, yeah, I, I had to sort of relearn how to sing as, as my Bell's palsy, the th thing where your facial nerve gets paralyzed for some period of time, usually, usually weeks, but sometimes months. And for me, it was more of the latter. It was like three months. Mm. And, uh, and even as it came back, like it didn't come back. It's, it's even today, it's still not a hundred percent. Um, but uh, but the the you know, the facial nerve also controls the right or the side of your throat. It, for me, it was the right side. So I did have to sort of relearn how to sing. And I say relearn. Really, I had to learn how to sing. I'd never really paid any attention to it in, in that way. And and that helped. And perhaps that's why this particular thing isn't quite as aggravated by singing as it is, say, by talking. But it's been a weird thing. I, I had an issue years ago where I woke up one day, uh, I had a gig in the morning and a gig in the afternoon. It was a Saturday. It was like a, a fall morning or whatever. And I couldn't sing at this gig, like not just like, Oh, it hurts or whatever. Like literally the noises wouldn't come out of my mouth for any notes above like something really low. And I thought, well, I guess I just, it's morning or whatever. I got to get warmed up. No, it didn't get better. Wait, let me ask you a question before, yeah. you, before you go on. Sure. So, so as you're realizing this, can you remember, were you taking in more air and trying to push it harder, like, like force the note? Were you trying to find a way to aim the note, you know, in your resonance, how to get it out of you? Like, what were you doing to try and work around it, basically, if the natural thing wasn't happening? I, I tried everything and nothing worked. <laughs> it, it really, it was very quick that I realized, wow, this is just isn't going to happen. So I sang what I could. Uh, it, you know, and thought, well, maybe as I warm up and I sing like things in a lower register, you know, slow and slow. Right. That's how you're supposed to warm up before you get to, to high and fast. So I was like, all right, well, I'll I'll sing some harmonies here, or whatever. And we'll we'll find our way through this. And we did find our way through the gig. And I suppose it might have gotten slightly better, but it certainly like it. There was something wrong. And so I texted the, the the other band that I was playing with that afternoon. I had a monkey fist gig. They were both acoustic gigs, so super exposed vocally. And I texted Johnny D at 
it with monkey fists. I'm like, man, I don't know. He's like, ah, you're just being a wimp. I'm like, no, no, no. Like, I, I get that. Like, I understand singers it, it, of all shapes and sizes. We're all wimps at times, you know, but this is, this is not that there's something else going mm-hmm. on. And a couple of weeks go by. It's not changing at all. I go to an ENT who scoped my throat with this thing. If you've never had your throat scoped, it's, it's mm-hmm. weird. Cause it's terrible. It, it really wasn't. I, it was weird. Oh, I'm sorry. I was thinking about a, a um, sinus scoping. That's what that it was. Is- they went through my nose. Oh, yeah. Geez. Yeah. I think it's terrible. Yeah. It was, it was whatever. I mean, it, it, you know, I was interested in the solution to the problem. So I was sort of, I was in, right. So they scoped my throat and the doctor tells me, so your throat's irritated. I'm like, Yeah. I know you're going to charge me 700 bucks. Like, do you pay for the scoping? Cause I knew that coming in anyway. He's like, well, I can't see anything like it's coming. It's an external thing. Something is irritating your throat. You know, it's not like that you have calluses or nodules or any of those things, you know, where your throat is sort of causing the problem. This problem is being caused to your throat. That's what the scope has told me. Like, oh, okay, f- fine. And uh, like, so what is it? He's like, well, it, it's got to be GERD, the gastroesophageal reflux disease or whatever, acid reflux. Wait, why Why is allergy not not uh, considered to this? Um, because allergies in 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 his mind, I did ask that question, uh, would cause like sinus drip and there was no you know evidence of that. And so it was like, OK, I said, but I have no symptoms of GERD. You know, it's like, well, it doesn't your throat's really sensitive. It doesn't take much of this acid reflux to cause a problem with your throat. And I've talked to many other doctors since then. And of course, again, recently about this and they like, that is the default answer. If there's something going on with your throat and you can't figure out what it is, it's GERD 99% of the time, maybe not 99, but nine times out of 10, you know, that's just what it is. Like, okay. So he said, well, we'll put you on whatever, you know, ranitidine and omeprazole, like Prilosec and something else, whatever it was, you know, and he said, but it's going to take you a couple of, uh, you know, it's, it's going to take like four to six weeks before you notice anything like, okay, well, fine. So I'm on this thing and four weeks goes by, six weeks goes by. Um, uh, I'm hearing a lot of rattling from, I'm sure we're all hearing a lot of rattling from you. Are you moving things around over there, Mr. Kent? I am moving things around. All Sorry right. about that. That's okay. Uh, use the mute button when you do that. It makes it better for everybody. So, uh, yeah, there you go. So, uh, thank you. Uh, so, you know, four weeks goes by, six weeks goes by, still not getting any better, you know, and uh, and I'm sitting at my desk and I reach for yet another cough drop and it hits me. I'm like, oh, crap, I've got a cough drop addiction like this is I, I've I did this to myself. These are menthol cough drops. Menthol is is terrible for your throat long term, but, you know, not um you know, it's, it's okay. For, it's like a painkiller initially, but I had started this cough drop addiction three or four weeks before my problem started. And uh, I was like, oh crap. So I put that cough drop back. I stopped taking whatever the, the medication for GERD. Two days later, throat was a hundred percent. No problem. All good. So when it happened this time, of course, I took stock of what's going on. Like, all right, we're not going to do a two and a half month tour to find out it's cough drops again. Of course, I knew it wasn't cough drops because I don't use menthol cough drops and generally don't use cough drops at all. What is it? And I still can't figure it out. Um, So I have started taking uh, acid reflux medication. I don't think that's what it is. Um, Prilosec? Prilosec and uh, and what what was the other one? There's there were two that they prescribed last time, and now of course they're avail- available over the counter. It's uh, ranitidine and omeprazole. One of them is Prilosec, and the other is I, I can't remember what the brand name is, but um, but I started taking those. I don't know end of last week. It I think it's I think it's allergy related or or something. And I've also started taking a different allergy medication. I'm like throwing the the normally, you know, I'm a I'm a troubleshooter by nature, right? So normally I would only change you? one thing at a I know, I know. You might not know this, but it's true. Okay. Uh normally I would only change one variable at a time, but this time it's like, no, I'm gonna try all these things. I know these things aren't gonna hurt me, at least they haven't in the past. So taking both of those medications, I'm taking um, two allergy meds, Flonase and Cetirazine, whatever the, the generic uh, Z- Zyrtec or something uh, that have both helped me in the past. 
although I've been on Flonase for about a month because uh, I would have needed, I did need that for going to Austin for South by Southwest. But um, so I'm just throwing everything. And if the problem gets solved, then I'll one by one sort of peel things off to figure out what, uh, what's, you know, what's helping. But yeah. Yeah. It's frustrating dealing it's frustrating. with something like it, this. It is yeah. the thing about us kind of semi-professional singers. You think about, Think well, and Broadway professional podcast shows, right? Well, that's that's the, people who use their voice for a living. Although yeah. people who use their voice for speaking and people who use their voice for singing have different requirements and different uh, pitfalls. You Correct. think about Broadway, you know, who are singing a certain way and, and they're doing eight shows a night. You think about Vegas performers, you think about hardcore musicians, you know, bar band musicians who are making a living doing it that many nights a week. It's uh, there are a few freaks among us who can have bad technique and can somehow muddle their way through or, or just naturally it's like a golf swing, right? You know, some people can walk up to a golf ball and hit it straight and they don't even know what they're doing. They just do it. Some people sing, right. They naturally have good technically correct. And and you do. And I know I get sick a lot and I've uh, spent a lot of time with ENTs and and, uh, allergists and respiratory doctors just trying to get stuff out, trying to stop coughing, trying to get stuff, stop dripping. And uh, it's a thing. I think to be a working, um, you know, person who relies on sound coming out of their mouth, you need luck. You need, um, you know, good mechanics. You need good genetics. Um, you need diligence and a lot of discipline because if you're not, if you're not one of those people who's blessed, you really do got to get to the bottom of what it is, and you got to work, you know, plan that that uh, incorporates that all the time. It's not I've, easy. I've Some had, people again, had, are you know, just natural. 40 something years of totally being blessed with this. And now I get this frustration to deal with. (laughs) It's the part that sucks. It's hard. Yeah. 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 First it's like, Oh, it'll get better. Cause it always has in the past. Right. So I just ignored it, not ignored, but you know, just because it always has in the past. Cause it always has in the past. I just, I'll do the same thing I've always done and, and it'll get better. And it didn't. And then it started getting a lot worse. Like last week was awful. Uh, especially Monday, you know, I did this show with you and then Matt Geekab with John. And after that, it was like, okay, some, oh, I think I had a, no, I didn't have a rehearsal that night. Well, maybe I did actually. I don't know. And it was like, oh, now it's like hurting and clearly inflamed. Something's going on. So I went to my doctor and we didn't scope it this time, but they looked and they're like, yeah, there's not like, they're, they're pretty sure it's, you know, they were even pretty sure it wasn't GERD because they're like, well, you know, it started with this cold. So that's kind of the thing, but I don't there's know, all man. sorts of classes of, of uh, respiratory infections that happen in different places and affect it's true. people it's in true. different ways. So yeah. I think it's yeah, kind it could of a be that, combination right? of good habits, vigilance, taking it all very seriously, being attuned to your body and your instrument and, you know, just it's, it, it is, a, it is care and feeding of your instrument, I guess would be the best way what to it say is. it. And you gotta, yeah. you gotta be on top of that stuff as soon yeah. as you start feeling, you know, you go get it taken care of. I think your approach is actually makes a lot of sense. You got to get singing now. So throw a bunch of stuff at it and then start, you know, try and get it solved and then start easing off the, you know, the, the things that you're throwing at it yeah. and seeing if you can figure it that way, but get it solved now. Get it solved. It's frustrating yeah. too. It's, and it's very disheartening. You know, you do everything you can to get a great show together, get, you know, learn your words, learn your songs, and then your your instrument gives out on you is a really frustrating thing. It sucks. So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just frustrating. Hey, I had a corporate gig on Saturday night, which was kind of an interesting one. Okay. Talk it to was me. Interesting. Yeah. Um, so it was another one of those events where they meet, they have cocktail hour, they have a dinner, they have a, a, a long auction. And then by the time we play, they've already been there three or four hours, right? Yep. And- um, some groups that's cool because they are a close group and they like to party together. And then, you know, once the party part of it starts, they're in the mood for that. Some groups I've been here three, four hours. It's past my bedtime and you know, it's time to go home. Yeah. Uh, this was one of those groups. So we sound checked at four off stage by five, five thirty ish, their doors open. Uh, our call was eight forty-five, so they go through their whole thing: cocktail hour, dinner, auction. Uh, we're in a green room about nine o'clock. The woman comes back and says, "Hey, we're running a little head. You know, are you guys ready to go on?" I'm like, "Nope, my call is. I didn't. All my guys aren't here. Are, are, we're a nine thirty contract." And she goes, "Well, you know, can we do something? We're gonna have some dead time." I, we start to try and figure it out. Turns out they weren't ahead after all. They had just moved some of their auction items around and confused some people. They're never ahead. It ne- it's but never, they're never ahead. They're never ahead. <laughs> it, weddings too. And then. So weddings and then, especially. So we get on stage, yeah. We get on stage at nine 30 
And the first song is fine, but you can tell immediately that, let's pick a number, 40% of the crowd is done and they're getting their coats on and they're, yep. you know, getting ready to leave. Nothing to do with us. Although it's not fun to play while you're watching that, you know? Right, right. It's not, yeah, it does not help your energy level when you yep. see people going for their coats, even though, and like then, you said, it's happening because there's a change in the in the flow of the evening, not not because of you. Right. Exactly. Yep. So our, this gig is 930 to 1130. And uh, we play and we're playing fine. We actually haven't had a gig in quite a while. There was a little bit of rust, but that wasn't really the issue. There was a little bit of that difference between sound checking in a big empty ballroom and playing in a full ballroom that is now emptying, right? Oh. A, a few different moving targets there to getting the sound. So what sounded great in soundcheck is sounding different as we get started. And on top of that, uh, the powers that be come and say it's too loud. And so our poor sound guy who worked real hard to get a mix during soundcheck felt that it was fine. But of course, they're the boss. They're the, and so within not too long, the only thing going through the mains is vocals. Uh, it's a it's a hotel ballroom type of thing. I was going to say uh, those kind of gigs, you, you have to walk into those knowing that you're going to play at half the volume that you do at like a club gig or anything else. It's just well, the way it goes. Isn't that funny? Because it's it was a 400 person event. So it's a good size ballroom. Doesn't matter. Oh, you're right. And actually, that's yeah. kind of my point to this. Yeah, is- that's the thing is it's it looks can be deceiving. And I and the first time the first gig I played with Uptown, you know, it was like, oh, it's big ballroom rock gig. Like the sound guy came up. He's like, no, 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 no. Right. <laughs> like, oh, sorry. Got it. OK, no problem. Yep. So downbeat, 40 percent of the room walks out over the next half hour. Another 20 percent of the room walks out. We're down to. So what is that? A six is 40 percent of 400 people. So there's 160 people left in the room. There's maybe at max 50 people on the dance floor. And this starts to dwindle. And really, so 930, 1130, by about 1030, 10, 1030, it's down to about 40 or 50 people left in the room. Right. Total. So yeah, we're right. down. And, you know, just the first thing is this, again, we haven't played in about a month. The, the thoughts going through my head are, all right, let's be a pro band and let's give these 50 people everything we have. That's, that's the first it. thing I have. That's that's all you can but do. But not far behind that is, oh man, they hate us. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, like we're really, we're, we're really sucking it up tonight. <clears throat> and so, you know, you're kind of dealing with that and, and I'm gauging the energy of the band. And I'm, I can say now, I haven't talked to, about with the guys about it, but I would guess those two things are probably going through everybody, everything, in the, every guy in the band's mm. mind is like, let's do it. You know, let's play. We haven't played in a while. Let's enjoy it. Let's play hard. Let's, you know, be conscious about the stuff we have now have an opportunity to bush, buff up a little bit. But right after that is like, oh, man. And then as we get down to maybe 30 people in the room, now we have one guy coming up and making requests every 30 seconds. And, um, and now we have, and and then we have another guy in the middle playing CB wonders. Do I do comes up and says, can you play some dance music? And then, (laughs) then we have another guy saying, you know, play the funk. And then we have another guy saying of the 30 people. Now they're getting kind of like interpersonal with us as to what they want. This final set tailored to their individual experience. One guy saying, play funk. One guy saying, play rock. You know, we're playing a great dance tune and a guy comes up to the middle of the song, leans in and wants to tell me to play better dance music. Right. So it was it was one of those kind of nights where yeah. energy sifted. We did our best to be professional. That, that guy, guy that said that to you in the middle of the set, he, he's your best friend now. But earlier in the evening, he was the bartender's best friend. And that usually yeah. is what leads to that. That's right. Absolutely. So it was just one of those nights. But going back to this concept of volume, I just I am reminded that the if you want to make money playing corporate events or weddings, Is your band ready to play at moderate to low volumes? I mean, really ready, not just turning down because turning down is. No, that's starting with a problem. Exactly. You're trying to, you're trying to back into a solution rather than this is a requirement. And more and more these days, it's a requirement, right? I just think that. For those kinds of gigs. Yeah. The kinds of gigs that you're going after now are exactly those. Yeah. And so, you know. They're not rock gigs. All parts of this, right? Right. You take about, can you maintain some kind of energy at moderate to low volumes? Can you maintain some kind of tone in your guitars at moderate to low volumes? What is your drummer going to do about playing at moderate to low volumes? I'll actually ask you what you know. Yep. You walk into a gig. It's not a bundles or a brushes gig, right? right. You still got to use sticks. 
you know, is it, are you just laying off the field, just not hitting as hard? Are you, you know, do you have some kind of entertaining show that, that uh, makes people look the other way while you're still playing drums or, or playing much softer? <laughs> I mean, what goes to a drummer's mind? Cause often this stuff I do feel comes back to the drummer. Cause you're the loudest acoustic thing on the stage. You are the catalyst for whether we can play soft or not. You accept that charge? Uh, if the, I will, I do. I, the way I look at it is if I play too loud, everyone else almost has to, right? I mean, it, it like they don't have to, but it will cause that. Except that's not entirely correct. I still need like I still need to manage my own deal. But the more people that are not uh, playing out of all other acoustic instruments like the drums have to be acoustic unless someone is willing to hire a band with electronic drums. Right. But if people want to see the look of a rock band on stage, right, then you need to have real drums on stage. So you have to have drums that are tuned in such a way and built in such a way that they're not these totally bombastic things. Like my maple kit has no business even being mm-hmm. like, I don't even look at it the day of those, those kinds of gigs. I'm playing my birch drums. They've got, uh, pinstripe heads on them, you know, so that there's, there's, there's some tone, but not this big explosion all the time. Right. The sure. snare, the snare drum is, is, uh, usually the, the, the snare drum and the cymbals really are the, the, the wild cards there. And I bring a couple of different snare drums for the room to see what's going to resonate and what's going to reflect more than the other. Believe it or not, most gigs these days that I'm doing like that, it's the Ludwig Black Beauty, which is a metal snare drum. On yeah. on paper, it should not be the right drum for those rooms, but it's totally controllable and it sounds good even at low volumes. And so I'll do that. And then for the cymbals, I'll pick the right cymbals, but I'll generally also use thinner sticks and sticks with a smaller bead. Um, the, a stick with a big fat bead on it will make the ride cymbal explode. Whereas a stick with like a little round bead, the ride cymbal has a very defined sound and it doesn't get too big. So that's, that's what so, I so can the net, do. So the net is, yes, you accept the responsibility that you're, you are, you are a fulcrum of the success of the band being able to play at a moderate volume. But there's more to it than that. It's how much other stage wash Am I hearing, even if I'm on in-ears, right? I'm hearing the overhead mic from the drums, right? So that- Okay, I can, wait, let me pause you right here. Here's the deal. Okay. You're doing a Dave thing and you're getting into the details of this and, I, and you're actually po- making my point. The, the, the barriers to, to get playing soft, do, do most bands rehearse soft? Do most bands perfect their- well, that's sort of where I'm going with it. I, I am doing a Dave thing, but I don't think I'm going where you expect me to go. go because man. where I'm going is that the drummer should be the only one making noise out loud. Everybody else should go direct into the mm. board. And that way, the stage wash doesn't become the stage wash, right? So to your point, can you get the sound out of your amp at low volume? Of course you can. If you go direct, you don't have to worry about your amp. Right. Same with the bass player, same with the keyboard player. So you've got vocalists and drummers and uh, making noise on stage and everybody's on in-ears. That's mm. the way these that's the way these gigs work the best these now, days. Right. Right. So Correct. the technology is there. Correct. I have a good friend's band who just went all in-ears. They push no air except for drums. And yeah. Spoke. Again, you know, my troubles with in-ears mm-hmm. um, and in-ears with guitar stuff is weird. And in-ears with um in-ears with uh, uh, direct pedals, you know, that, that do simulations and that type of stuff just is also weird. But let me just back up. I think your premise is right. I think your premise that if you want to be a band that offers itself to every situation, you know, and put yourself in a position to make money, you have to accept tacitly that being able to perform at low, low volume, not even going to say moderate volumes, low volumes, like, literally yeah. almost take volume out of the equation is a tool you have to have in your bag. You have to be, it needs to be fundamental. Not, it's part of the deal. It needs right? to be rehearsed. It needs yes. to be tested. It needs to be all those things. I don't know any band that does that. Like I said, my one friend's band Uptown that just does. all in ears. That's how Uptown That's rehearses. There's no noise. You can't hear anything in the room when we wow. rehearse. Yeah. Wow. We rehearse at Gary's house, electronic drums. Everybody's on headphones. It's just how it goes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you've, you've been on rehearsal. It's ridiculous. 
It's ridiculous. <laughs> it is. You are, you are one of the loudest bands I've ever played with. Yeah. I, 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 every time I hear you say that, I cringe and I'm like, you know, we really, should, but there's just so many things going on. It, well, here's the, there's, there's so two, many things that, like the, the, in a, in a little room, our brass to play rock and roll has got to yeah. push some air and that gets loud. Um, in a little room, some guys really only feel comfortable with a certain amount of, and that's, that's actually the thing. That's the problem. Guys right who only feel comfortable with a certain floor level of volume. If you're that musician, are you willing to look yourself in the mirror? If that musician is in your band, are you willing to have that, that, con- that a conversation? And then, you know, those conversations are always, almost always a fail. Well, I'll turn down if you turn down. Well, I don't want to hear you. And you know, they get to be, you know, really kind of a pissing match. And it's true. That's, that's definitely true. Yeah. Yep. Yes. Yep. So, but, but the, the premise is the, is a good one. Like if you really want to be prepared to take gigs, any kind of gig in the same way, you need to have a set list that, that gets you those gigs. You have to have an approach to amplification and live sound and volume control that reflects that as well. Yep. And I've had, I mean, I say that we've got it dialed in with Uptown and and we do now, but, and I'm really sensitive to this stuff, right? Because I'm a, you know, I also go and do sound for people sometimes, right? So I'm thinking, and sometimes I do, you know, my own sound, not with Uptown, but with other bands. So I'm always thinking about, okay, are the vocals loud enough? You know, like those important things. Uh, When I joined Uptown, it took several gigs and a lot of long conversations between me and Dave, our sound guy, uh, both to sort of talk through the, log- the logistics of it, but also to develop a trust so that when when he tells me, you know, turn down or don't turn down, like everything's OK, I, I just I can implicitly trust him to handle and make us sound good because he can always turn it up. And he does. Right. Like for the second set, most of the time, that's when people really want to move and boogie. And as soon as the dance floor fills up, I can feel him turning up the subs, you know, and it's like, Mm. okay. And when I feel that, then I know I can open up a little bit. Right. And now it, it starts to become more like a rock show. Right. And there are some gigs that get all the way to full rock show, but they Mm. never never start there. Right. It's always this very controlled in the box. Here's where this band is. And then does it make sense to, to open the box a little bit, you know? And I, I think the, the best way to look at that is when you're doing a rock show, it's about you, right? You, you're at a club, people are coming out to the club to see you. It's like, whatever you do is right because it's about you. And at those parties and weddings or casino gigs or any of those kinds of things, you know, and that and it was the casino gigs where I learned this lesson the hard way. It's not about you. It's mm. you are just a cog in the wheels. Right. And there's this event happening and you are but one thing that will make the event successful so long as you don't make it fail. Right. <laughs> so that's it. You come and do your thing and the event's a success. And yeah. it's not about you. It's about at a wedding. It's about the, you know, the bride and the grooms and their family, the groom and their families or what, you know, whatever. But it's no one's coming to that wedding and being like, hey, cool. I get to hear Uptown tonight. Like, that's not the thing. Right. It's I get well, to go. My see gig was actually get- it was that thing. So the person that hired us comes to see us all the time. She loves us. She, you know, highly endorses us. She recommended us and she got, and she was like, Oh, these guys are great. You're going to love these guys. Oh, absolutely. And, but the event and, wasn't a house rockers no, 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 gig. No, it was an awesome. Was house right. But when it turned to the dancing time, it kind of was supposed to be a house rockers thing. And you know, people, right. the, those in the know were kind of pushing. However, it was supposed to be a house rockers thing, but the audience that was there, um, you know, older, yep. you know, still wanted to talk business, um, you know, whatever it is, was that they were doing. And yeah, I mean, it is a bit of a social engineering thing. But it is just a largely a technical engineering thing. It Your is, band, yeah. are you, it is not, if you think we'll just turn down, that is a, a failed proposition. Backing into acceptable volume is not so really hard. The, yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. think about all the things you sound check. It's not just turning the mains down because then things are kind of out of whack, you know, in many ways, because the main mixes are often a subjective decision by the sound guy about what's coming off the stage and what he's going to put in the oh, mains, right? Most of the time at like a rock gig, when someone says it's too loud, I, I will turn up the vocals to solve that problem. And yeah. most of the time that does solve the problem at 
these corporate gigs and weddings and, you know, things like we're describing here, that would be the like, no, 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 don't, don't, don't follow your temptation to solve it that way. Your problem is that you are actually too loud. Like that's the real issue is it, sure. it needs to come down. Yeah. Yeah. It's more with a rock gig volume complaints often, not always, of course, but often are about, I'm, I'm complaining about the mix by saying it's too loud. Whereas at wedding gigs and court and corporate gigs, when, when they say it's too loud, they actually mean it's too loud. Yeah. Yeah. I, I am thinking about this volume thing over the years. I've, I've had experienced professional musicians be like, whatever you need, that's what I'll do. I've had people say, you know, the right approach to sound is to be just at the point where you can hear yourself, uh, you know, this is before in-ears. Uh, and mm-hmm. if you can hear yourself, if you can hear yourself crystal clear, you're probably too loud. Right. right. Interesting perspective. Right. I right. have other, you know, met people, they insist I'm going to get what I need to give my best performance. And that often means, you know, my, my, my corner of the stage and my stage volume is my domain, uh, my right. Uh, and I'm actually, you know, there are great, great semi-professional musicians, technically great technicians who don't participate in the social engineering of the solution to this. Right. Not willing to give up their comfort. Yeah, well, but you can th- I, I grok that. Right. Because, I mean, I grew up in a time without in-ears and, and fought those battles. I mean, to me, in-ears were the solution to a problem, not a, a, a problem forced upon me, you know, mm-hmm. but the um, the. Like we can all learn, we can all adapt. The fact that we can play an instrument is proof of that, right? Like we didn't, we weren't born being able to play our instruments and understand chord structure and and all of that, right? Like we learned that some of us, it took more effort than perhaps it did for others, but whatever, like we, we adapted and we, we learned how to do this thing this way. Well, we could adapt again. It's really not that hard to your point. It's about, learning to be comfortable with the right scenario. And, and that's, that's what we're talking about here is just adjusting what you know, so that you are comfortable with the new normal. And that's just how it goes. Like, that's it. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. People want rock music. They want dance music. They want up tempo music. They want, you know, energy. Yeah. But they don't want it often. I- to make it so they can't talk to the person next to them. Well, and go, you know, for anybody that that feels like they might have a fundamental problem with this, go and look at, you know, any rock band that's out there still playing after, say, 30 years, right? Any band that's out there that's got a 30-year-plus career going on, none of them started with in-ears. They all started playing really loud on stage. And even if you went and saw them 20 years ago in a huge arena, the sound probably sucked compared to what it is today. Now, there's several reasons for that. One of them is, you know, the the, the invention and, and proliferation of of uh, the 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 oh, why can't I think about it? The arrays like the, the line arrays that, that mm-hmm. you know, can focus the sound different areas of the room. But the other part of it is they got their stage volume under control because they're all using in-ears. It's rare to go see a band these days that's not on, like a pro touring band that's not on in-ears. I think the only band that I've seen in in a long time that's not is fish and and it's totally bruce isn't on they're not they've um, bruce himself i don't you know i think members of the band probably are but bruce himself but bruce is isn't okay yeah 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 right and and I, honestly i think the guys in fish are being stupid about it the three of them use in-ears with their solo bands trey is the only one that's like just against in-ears uh, and he could adapt. There's no question that he could adapt. Right. You know, he, he's a talented player, smart mm. guy, but he has chosen not to. And so the whole band kind of falls into that. Um, you know, would would fish change maybe because of it? Who knows? I don't know. But but they might save their hearing like, uh, you know, but they to be fair, that band always understood that they needed to sound right for the room that they were in. And so even, so they sort of solved this problem before in-ears were an option for them. And they really got their stage volume low and under control. So they're not like, they're not as bad as, as many, many other bands out there, but, uh, 
you know, so maybe maybe it's not an issue. I've never stood on stage while fish played. I don't know how quiet it is. Maybe it's really not a problem at all. So I'd love there to be a thread on, you know, what bands actually prepare for for low volumes. I'd love to hear yeah. from the people who are listening to us. How many people are really like ahead of the game on this and prepared to just plug their band into any volume situation and what they do to what they do to accommodate that? Yeah. I, you know, it seems like electric drums electronic drums you don't even see that very much i mean there was a point in time where, where in the 80s where the sounds were kind of interesting you know and triggers and that yeah, type of, of course thing. you sure. really don't see them on stage in cover band situations very often i mean i can't remember the, i can't remember a time that i saw a band set up around an electronic drum kit it's a hard thing to make electronic drums sound good in in a small room you you almost need like an arena sized sound system if your goal is to make it sound like real drums, if your goal is to, you know, use effects and, and sample pads and things like that, then obviously, you know, your options are a lot simpler or a lot more varied. But in terms of making something sound like a drum set, you need a lot of amplification to do that the right way. And and it's it's hard. Even in an arena, you, you, you know, you can see somebody like uh, with Rush, Peart had had like this double kit that he played for anybody that ever saw him it, you know you'd have half of his kit was electronics and half wasn't and uh and it like when he switched to that elect electronics kit like there was something missing in the room it was it it was different you yeah you learned i learned to to expect it it was just part of the show it's like oh yeah this song he did on electronics so the kick drum doesn't have that sound of a kick drum you know it, it right. sounds like a uh, sampled kick drum and, and a very contained right. thing so but if your goal is to do a whole evening like that man good luck i i right. think that's a lot harder but yeah i'd be curious too so uh feedback at giggabpodcast.com is where you can email us and and uh if you go to giggabpodcast.com slash facebook that'll bring you to the the group there on facebook where you can ask those questions too so it's crazy man I saw a couple hey, things. One, oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say, no, no, yeah, I saw a couple things at South by Southwest. Uh, oh, you've been meaning to talk about this stuff. Yeah, that I kind of wanted to go through. And the first is something called Single. It's singlemusic.com is their URL. And these guys are doing something really cool. They solved the problem for themselves. And then, of course, you know, as, as any good entrepreneur does, they they polish the solution. Now, anybody can use it. They are a plug-in for Shopify. Now, Musicians might not be aware of Shopify, although you've probably heard the name, but Shopify is this place where you can sell like merchants use it all over the web, right? Because they've Shopify themselves has sort of solved all of these problems to make selling things online super easy and they allow plugins to extend their functionality. And now you can they, that's what these single music people have done is they've added Shopify or they've added musician specific features to Shopify, including things like digital downloads, physical downloads, and then bundling, right? Where you can say, cool, I want to buy, you know, a, a digital download and a physical download and a t-shirt or whatever. Right. And the cool part is because it's going through their engine, all of your sales that you're doing direct can get reported to the charts. And that can be an interesting thing for an independent artist, right? Because if you're selling on your own, you're not charting. There's no way to report. And here's the thing. If you can sell, you know, five, 10,000 copies of a record, it, depending on what chart you're reporting, that can be a number one now. Like, like, it's not like mil you need millions to hit number one in on, on certain charts because people don't buy music like they used to, Sure, <laughs> you know, so it's a really interesting thing. And, and I took a look at it at South by Southwest. They were part of the trade show. Uh, you know, uh, they have a, a conference or an uh, expo center there too. And they were part of that and they had it demoed and, and they were showing stuff and they've got all kinds of people using this. It's really impressive. What um, what's going on? I think Nine Inch Nails was using it for some stuff. Oh, wow. and yeah, 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 yeah. Foo Fighters, I think, used it for for some things. So it and it lets you, of course, you maintain complete control. You get paid. You know, it's like they're not keeping your money like like some of the, the 
you know, pledge music or whatever. We saw that problem with fastball earlier this year, right? Where pledge music yep. was keeping everybody's money. Nope. They're, they don't, they just, they keep their cut, which I think is, you know, a couple of percent or whatever, because the credit card fees and, you know, all that stuff, but, uh, and they make their, they make their money, but they don't, you know, they don't keep your money and it's your, like, it's really important to be in touch with your customers because if you aren't, you don't have customers. There's a lot of engines out there where you aren't performing the sale. So you don't actually have a customer, you know, and I always point to like the app stores for this. When you go to the app store, uh, you know, on, on like your phone or whatever, and you buy an app, you're buying that app from like Apple or Google. You're not buying it from the person who made it. You don't, that person has no idea who you are and and can't get in touch with you. Can't put you on their mailing list, all that stuff with Shopify and single, the customers are yours. So you do know who they are and you can reach back out to them and you can deliver them like a bonus content or whatever. Right. So it's a cool thing. I was really impressed with how well they had put, you know, how how much time they had put in to put this all together. So it's a cool tool. It, It is. Yeah. 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 Um, the other one is another cool tool. It's called sound storming. And, uh, and it's at soundstorming. Oh, where is it here? My freaking browser soundstorming.com. And what it is, it's a, it, it's an app, right? So you would download this and the app's available for free. Um, they noticed that a lot of people were recording little snippets of ideas in like voice memos or, you know, music memos now that Apple's released that. And that's cool, right? Just on your phone, you have an idea about a song or whatever, and you record it and there you go. And then you can send it to like your bandmates or whatever, but it sort of ends there. Well, they decided they didn't want it to end there. They wanted to add collaboration. And so that's what they did. You use this app, you can, you know, record like a quick idea or whatever, lay it down, and then you put it into uh, soundstorming or it records into soundstorming, but it uploads to their cloud and then you can choose who gets to hear it. You could let all of your fans hear it or just like your bandmates. And then they can add their own tracks to it and it auto mixes this stuff together. So it could be like, oh, I laid down this cool drum groove and I could put that out there. And then you could say, oh, I've had these chords that I've been messing with. And you lay them down over it. And then somebody else could say, oh, I've got some lyrics or whatever. And now you've, you're like building a song and it's happening without having to like be intentional about sitting in a studio and being, you know, crazy about how you're recording. It's just getting ideas out there and, and like sort of collecting them all in one spot and, and letting multiple people, you know, contribute, which is kind of cool. You know, it's a brainstorm solution. No, it's totally cool. Again, I, it's counterintuitive to me because I think that whole process of writing a song is such a personal thing. I would have a hard time letting people I love contribute much less Uh, the greater world, but it would be an interesting exercise to just put a riff out there and, you know, not be too emotionally attached to it and see if you get some contributions. I wonder how that works with regards to songwriting and, you know, royalties and, you know, something turns into a song. What do you do if someone, you know, materially contributes something that turns into, you know, via tool like this? Uh, yeah. If they, if somebody like it, like, let's say, you know, you wrote the, the chords and somebody else wrote the lyrics, well, they would get credit for the lyrics. You get credit for the chords, but together you would, you would split the, the royalties from that song. That sound storming actually provides a, a no, mechanism. They're not, they're not doing anything. They're not monetizing it at all. This is just the, I want to, I just yeah. want to collaborate. Yeah, exactly. Got yeah. It. Which so happens. You, you go in, you go in willingly. But, you know, it just raised the, cons- the concern that if someone hears a, a riff and then uses the riff and creates something else that and they sell it commercially. And, you know, it, but the original idea can be traced back to what someone shared on Soundstorming. It's an interesting uh, intellectual property discussion. Well, that's why you want to go watch that movie I mentioned last week. The the Who Let the Dogs Out movie that I saw at South by Southwest. Didn't I mention did I mention that last week on this show? I don't remember that. No. Oh, really? Oh, I didn't. It was on my other show. OK, so. I went so. to see this movie called Who Let the Dogs Out at South by Southwest. Th- this movie should not be any good. It's about the song Who Let the Dogs Out that most of us know, you know, the version by the Baja Men, right? Big song back in the whatever, 90s, I guess, right? It was it late 90s, maybe when it yeah. came out. Yep. Yeah. Uh, this one guy eight years ago decided to read the Wikipedia entry for Who Let the Dogs Out. And it talked about how the Baja Men's producer was introduced to the song by this his hairdresser named Keith. 
And he thought, well, that's weird. Keith should have a last name. Opportunity. I can correct Wikipedia. This will be great. So he researched and found Keith's last name and put that in Wikipedia. But he didn't stop there because the story started to get very interesting about where this song came from. And he started digging and peeling back the layers of the onion. And it turns out there have been multiple lawsuits about who thinks they wrote this song and who should get credit and all of that stuff. And he dug so deep and then built this PowerPoint presentation that he takes around to like bars on pub night or whatever. And he'll set up his thing. And instead of people playing trivia or whatever, he'll walk you through who let the dogs out and who started it and all of that stuff. And, uh, and I, and he's a fairly entertaining guy and it's sort of an interesting, you know, thing, a filmmaker less than a year ago, a filmmaker was at one of these pub nights and saw this and, you know, immediately was like, Oh my God, this could be a film. And all the work is done. So in six months, they made this movie, which is, you know, unheard of with a feature length film, especially a documentary. But this guy had all that he had done all the research or so he thought. And so they went around the country, actually went around the world and, and filmed some people talking about it or whatever, you know, as part of this uh, to, to make this documentary an interesting thing to watch. But through this process, they went back two more iterations all the way, I think, to 1986 to figure out where the original seed for this particular song and the hook, the, you know, the, who let the dogs out? Yeah. Yeah. Is there a wolf, 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 whatever it is. But uh, but yeah, it's fascinating movie, but one of the best movies I saw at South by Southwest should not have been good. Yeah, I know. I'll check it out. Yep. Yep. Highly recommended. So, yep. Uh, So uh, yes. So that, that was a very, uh, related intellectual property thing that was out there, but you would have the same problem if you recorded something to voice memos and posted it on Twitter, right? Like, Uh you you know, same, same sort of issue. And the nice part about soundstorming is you can say, Oh, I only want this to be like, like, let's say Russ comes up with an idea or Aaron comes up with an idea right now. Those guys just record them on voice memos and, and, you know, text them or email them to us and we hear it. And then next time we get together, we might put it together or, or some guy like, like last week, Mike, had an idea for a song and he actually built it into a, a garage band track. Right. So it was like, okay, well we can sort of mess with this now on our own and get some ideas. And then when we get together, we've got, we've got some ideas to, to work with. So you can still compartmentalize this stuff. Um, and just, it just makes life a lot easier because you you don't have to, you know, you don't have to set up in a studio. You're just using your phone mm-hmm. and you're just getting the ideas down. So I thought those two things were cool, you know, try to filter. There was other stuff. But it wasn't nearly as cool as these things. So, you know, <laughs> well, it's I'll, good. You got a couple of gems out of the deal. Yeah, exactly. That's good. that's what I'm doing when I'm going to the the show floor anywhere, really. But but you know, but there too, it's like I'm there mining for gems, and you know, we'll see what happens. So, yeah, excellent, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Craziness, craziness. We got anything else to go through, my friend? No, life continues on. We're 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 running into gems. We're running into volume issues. Just the life of a musician, right? <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. I will say that my throat. Feels better finishing this episode than it has in a long You're time. Welcome. So, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm hoping, <laughs> I'm hoping one of the thing, and I didn't actually, that's true. I didn't take one of these like numbing cough drops before I did the show, um, which is a dangerous thing. What's that? Do you warm up before you sing? Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm amazed at how many singers don't. I mean, I, I've worked with a lot of singers of all levels, you know, I, I play behind them. They play with me and I'm amazed at the ones who no, I need a couple songs, you know, easy range songs in the beginning of the show, which doesn't make any sense to me. Cause if you want to start, you know, with a killer song, but, yeah, that shouldn't matter. You no, know, right. You should warm up on your own time, but a lot that just don't warm up. And then I just remember, you remember uh, when we had cheap trick play for us at Macworld that year. Yeah, I do. I, I Before the show, I was wandering around backstage and Robin Zander, you know, one of the great rock singers of all time. One of the he best. Was, yep. yep. He was do not disturb. And you could hear outside the door. He had an extremely rigorous preparation, warm up preparation that he was going through. I mean, it was, it was, I think it was, there was some kind of like mojo stuff going on as well. He was getting ready for a show, but sure. you could hear the scales he was running. You could hear the exercise he was running just like they teach you in anybody else's voice lesson. He was really diligent about it. And his range is still, you know, a remarkable ah, thing. So it's crazy. But yeah. he, does, he takes care of his instrument. That's yeah. what you got to do. No, I have a, I have a warm up that I can do in the car, like on the yeah. way and uh, starts low, and then gets higher and it, it, it does for me, it's, it, 
solves two problems. Number one, it gets me singing and gets me warmed up. And number two, it it sort of lets me know where I am on any given day. Like when I do get to the sort of the end of the warm up and I'm singing some higher stuff, I have some stuff that's, you know, near the top of my normal range. And it's like, how does this feel? How, you know, how is this going that way? If it turns out that at the gig, the first thing I need to sing is some, you know, super high harmony with somebody I know, you know, okay, today here's, here's how it's going to be, you know, and I, I either need to like be careful or, you know, I just, I have some knowledge coming into it. So look, yeah. elite athletes stretch and take practice shots, right? Yeah. Elite singers warm up. I mean, if they're doing it, it'd be hard pressed for you to figure out why. I mean, just getting the blood going and going through a process of getting your instrument prepared for its maximum. I mean, that's. That's just part of the deal. I, I just, it's amazing to me that so many don't because it's just like an awkward thing. And, you know, some people think it's like a self-affected thing to me. It is no different than stretching, you know, getting the blood flowing, getting the resonance going. If you're a singer, I mean, it's just, it's just part of the deal. Yeah. If it, I, I don't want to chastise anybody, but if you are one of those people that has trouble wrapping your head around that, it's not cool to warm up, uh, it's probably better to classify not warming up as, as more of an amateur thing and warming up being a pro thing. And, and maybe that helps you sort of, you know, shift your mindset to, right. It's all about hacking our brains, right. And, and convincing us that we're, we're doing all the right things. And so yeah, but to it's bring a the whole conversation where we started, or, exactly. you know, you're talking about, you know, you have some vocal problems. Well, one of the ways, not that, not that, not that warming up or not warming up caused this in no, iteration. not this one, but right. Yeah. But it, it is a best practice for a professional to take care of their instrument. You Absolutely. change your strings, you play in tune, you know, you warm up your fingers. If you're a guitar player, you warm up your body. If you're a drummer, yeah. I mean, you, you know, our horn players are constantly getting the resonance going. It's just part of what you do. And, and it's amazing that so many amateur singers just don't even try. Haven't even thought about it or, or, or have dismissed the thought. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. And again, that thinking that, well, I'll just take a couple songs in the beginning of the show to, to, to get warmed up. I just cheating your audience. If you got a great killer song, that would be a great, you know, first song, but you're not ready to sing it because you don't warm up. That's cheating your audience. It is. Yeah. Yep. It's uh, for me as a drummer, the hardest thing to play. I think I've said this on the show is a shuffle. Uh, it, you know, those, those groups, there's so much space in the groove and the, you know, you can't, the time always has to be right. Uh, I, I will I will never put a shuffle on the set list as the first song. But if somebody else does, I won't pull it off. You know, it's it's like I because I know I need to hit the stage and be ready. And, uh, you know, that's just how it goes. You, you got to be ready to to play. That's yeah. Anyway, you got two hours to, do, to deliver the goods. That's Make it, it awesome. Zombie it's at best, right. Sometimes yeah. you get shorter gigs than that. So, yeah, that's right. Yep. Yep. All killer, no Good filler. Stuff, man. Don't start with the filler. You drive people no. out of the room like the house rockers had. No, 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 no. <laughs> we started with Uptown Funk the other night. I kind of pushed really? it. Oh, yeah. wow. That's a great song. Yeah. It just gets people going right away. Yeah, that's smart. I love I love that movie, Bull Durham. And I love I love when uh, Nuke Lelouch says, I want to announce my presence with authority. <laughs> that's what I want to do with our band. <laughs> yeah. Why not? Right. Yeah. That's good. Good. So, all right. All right, man. Cool. Well, folks, that's uh that's where we are for well, for this one. Then we'll we'll be right here for the next one too. So yeah. we got some of your questions to answer. We'll start with that next time because otherwise we never get to them. Because we have too many other things to say. But we want to get your stuff into. You've got stuff. And always say. be performing and warm the hell up. That's right. Before while you're performing. Before you're performing, not before while you're performing. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> 